I'm worried about Coop. I still see Windham Merle everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. The fireman does throws like this weird gold orb into a tuba, which shoots it down onto Earth. Where's the check? Is it in the mail? Welcome to Books, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week, we are joined by a special guest host. Um, listeners of any of the last like five episodes will recognize Jesse Lawrence. Jesse, uh, I was going to say welcome back, but, you know, we only skipped like one episode, I think, that you weren't in. So uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you, guys. Yeah. Rob, I'm excited that you introduced it because I'm having trouble remembering what podcast this is because it feels like it's booked, <laughs> but it feels like it's the other podcast we do. And I was confused about what tonight actually is yeah you know i actually had a moment earlier when i was getting ready for this where i was thinking like we're gonna speak as if we're talking about the stuff that we talked about in the view when we were talking about the entire series of twin peaks and it's going to be totally lost on on um our book to listeners and then i thought we didn't you know we didn't really have a huge audience over the view anyway so no one is going to know what we're talking about no matter what so for all of this to make sense, you should stop right now. Go and listen to 25 episodes of The View, <laughs> and then come back, and this will all seem like it just all makes perfect sense. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no. First, they have to watch all of Twin Peaks and listen to The View, That's and then a, come back here. Oh, yeah. That's a level of dedication I almost didn't have, and it was my idea, so I don't yeah. expect anybody else. To, I, to have to do that. I will say that I did, in preparation for talking about this tonight, I did go back and I read through all of my notes for the new series, the new season of Twin Peaks that mm -hmm. we did for The View, and I am really funny, is the conclusion I came to after <laughs> reading through those notes. Uh, I did no preparation. I mean, I read this book. Yeah. That was the extent of uh, the book. We should talk about the book. The book that we're reviewing this week is The Final Dossier. Uh, I guess it's uh, what, what's the actual title of it? When you guys have it handy? Yeah, it's The Twin Final Peaks, The Final Dossier. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> so um, this uh, book promises, or promised, I guess it doesn't promise to do anything anymore for me because it's already maybe delivered um, to Answer questions um, that may have been left by the bizarre, I don't know, there's another way to say it, kind of the bizarre um, twists and turns of the uh, most recent season of Twin Peaks. Um, Rob, you want to kick it off with the uh, author pile? Yeah, so this book is written by Mark Frost, who um, you will discover in this bio how he's connected to Twin Peaks. Mark Frost is an American novelist, screenwriter, director, and film producer, best known as a writer for the television series Hill Street Blues. And as the co-creator of the television series Twin Peaks, his books include The List of Seven, The Paladin Prophecy, and The Secret History of Twin Peaks, and of course, now Twin Peaks, The Final Dossier. I did um, read The List of Seven many, many, many years ago, probably mid-90s, I'm assuming, is when that came out. And I remember um, quite enjoying it. As any of us read, uh, I'm guessing Livius is a no, The Secret History of Twin Peaks. Jesse, did you read that? No, the only Twin Peaks book I've read before was the was Laura Palmer's diary, which I think mm -hmm. David Lynch's daughter wrote. Yeah, I, I have a burning and well, this will probably come up, but I now have a burning need to read the secret history of Twin Peaks. Burning. Oh. Yeah, it did make me want to read that. I mean, before I was like, ah, I can live without reading that, but I'm kind of curious now. It's been a really long time since we've read a sequel. This is actually listed, as you're going to find out in the synopsis, as a 
sequel to the secret history of Twin Peaks. Rob, do you remember the last time we read the sequel to something without <laughs> reading the book before it? Yeah, um, it was our second episode, right? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the Mozart Conspiracy by... Oh, I don't remember the guy's name. That's Scott yeah, I Mariani. Boom. Nice. Very nice. I do remember that that book was like the poor man's Dan Brown, right? <laughs> it was like if if Dan if someone was trying to write a Dan Brown book, but they were like a sixth grader who loved Rambo. <laughs> that makes it sound awesome. You know, <laughs> that makes it sound here, awesome. Here's here's the problem. Nobody remembers episode two, I'm sure. But God, <laughs> that would have been hilarious six and a half years ago because I'm sure that that review is really stiff. Probably and pretty very, stiff. Like yeah. analytical and not as laid back as something as genius as what you just said. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You want to read that uh, is, synopsis? Yep. Here is the rather lengthy synopsis. The crucial sequel to the New York Times bestselling The Secret History of Twin Peaks, this novel bridges the two series and takes you deeper into the mysteries raised by the new series. The return of Twin Peaks is one of the most anticipated events in the history of television. The subject of endless speculation shrouded in mystery, fans will come flocking to see Mark Frost and David Lynch's inimitable vision once again grace the screen featuring all the characters we know and love from the first series as well as a list of high-powered actors in new roles the show will be endlessly debated discussed and dissected why is there a synopsis for the tv show in the book (laughs) i mean because this is all about what happens in between like you have to talk about the tv show in order to make this book make sense like the book wouldn't make sense unless you've watched the show right no no i I get it but like you're mentioning like high powered actors in new roles. So I, I, that's a little weird to me. I don't know. While the secret history of Twin Peaks served to expand the mysteries of the town and place the unexplained phenomena that unfolded there into a vastly layered, wide ranging history, Twin Peaks, the final dossier, tells us what happened to key characters in the 25 years in between the events of the first series and the second offering details and insights fans will be clamoring for. The novel also adds context and commentary to the strange and cosmic happenings of the new series. For fans around the world begging for more, Mark Frost's final take laid out in this novel will be required reading. And now it bears acknowledging right up front, while this is considered a novel, it doesn't follow like a traditional like story narrative, I would say. Um, it, it's basically consisted of a, a, like it's a collection of reports from one FBI agent to another. And so um, it's not going to be very easy to talk about plot because really it's just a bunch of information that refers to an entirely different separate story. Right. Oh, totally. Yep. I was very concerned. Um, so I, I, I have the digital version. And I, uh, you know, I flipped a page. I go, okay, there's kind of this introduction. And then I just kind of started just tapping and flipping through pages. I was like, oh, my God, the whole book is like this. And I'm not sure how this is going to play out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think that my recommendation or what I at least what I would like to do uh, in the duration of this review is just kind of talk about our reactions to the information that was given that is not in the Twin Peaks series, but that by definition means we're spoiling not only the Twin Peaks series, but also what is in the book. 
All right. If you are interested in reading this or eventually watching Twin Peaks, then I guess turn turn off the podcast is probably the easiest way to right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just feel like if we tried to avoid spoilers, it'd be a five minute conversation about the structure of the book. And then we'd be like, join us on spoiler talk where we talk for an hour and a half. All right. <laughs> That's fair. So let's just I, I, I vote for we just pile it all onto this bitch and just burn that burn it to the ground let's do it um as rob mentioned um i think every single um section of this and they're all kind of like reports or inner office memos or whatever all but one are written by tammy preston right the new young fbi agent that gordon yeah. cole took on in this last season um we have one appearance from albert which i believe is like chapter three maybe it's pretty early on and then it's all it's all tammy and it's all very heavily um opinionated yeah. um which is probably good that's probably what lent itself to be more readable than i th- i thought man this is gonna be super fucking dry Definitely. 200 pages of you know um tracking <laughs> down people yeah yeah so much like livia i started reading this and i was thinking oh they're gonna be mixing in some like report style writing in with like an overall narrative nope it's just chapter after chapter of um you know, a file on this person, a file on that person. Um, but what, what I will say is it's, it's the files are organized in a way where one leads to the next, which leads to the next for the most part. Um, so like what happens to one character in the series, when they talk about that, if another character is involved, the next, that character might be the next chapter, which is like the next file or correspondence between, um, Tammy and Agent Cole. What I will say is going through my, like I said earlier, I went through my notes in in um, preparation for this, and I referred to in an early episode, I think when we first introduced to Tammy, what is it, Preston? Um, I referred to her in my notes as a total smoke show. So there's that. <laughs> there is that. Um, I, I'm going to agree with you. I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair assessment of um, of Tammy. Do we know, like, right, like, page one, it mentions the archivist's dossier that she looked into? Do we, I mean, I'm trying to look it up now, but is that the secret history of Twin Peaks? Do we think that's I'm guessing what so. she's referring to? It's got to be, right? Yeah. yeah. It just felt like it was more substantial than a passing mention to, yeah, you know, some just something that didn't exist, so. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Um because she said last year, and these books were put out about a year apart, so I'm guessing they just kind of themed it that way. I'm assuming, I haven't read The Secret History, I'm assuming that that's more of like a prequel to all of Twin Peaks. I mean, I don't know, but it, I always like looked at the book as like, oh, this is the story of the town and how it was built with all this mysteriousness and whatever. And so going into this was kind of weird because it isn't so much a final dossier on twin peaks as we know it as it is on the return season yeah for sure because there's there's some stuff missing in here for sure like we still don't know man what the fuck happened to josie packard there's still no word on that is she just trapped in like some hotel like bedside table for the rest of her life (laughs) um so the description of the secret history of twin peaks it says it enlarges the world of the original series placing the unexplained phenomena that unfold there into a vastly layered, wide-ranging history, beginning with the journals of Lewis and Clark, 
Wow. And ending with the shocking events that close the finale, the perfect way to get in the mood for the upcoming Showtime series. So, yeah, I'm assuming this does kind of shine a light on all those questions that we had about the original series. Which yeah, I'll be the, totally honest, like that whole Lewis and Clark part of the synopsis is one of the main reasons I never picked up the book. <laughs> it's kind of strange. It's like, hmm, what? <laughs> but, well, I didn't want to go back that far. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. So I don't think we're going to go um, section by section on this and talk about things. So I guess we'll kind of open it up for interesting um, things that we may have learned um, throughout. So the first one is we we kind of uh, it kind of kicks off with the, the only part that's Albert driven, um, which I think the author did a fair job with as far as getting the voice of Albert right, um, is uh, what happened to Leo. That's something that was left off 25 years ago and, and never really addressed. Last we saw him, he was what running into the woods, right? No, he was. Um, he had a he had spiders hanging over his head. He had a cage of spiders on his head. Oh, that's right. We never even yeah. saw him. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. He he was chained to Garland Briggs too. Yeah, in oh, the right. in yeah, Wyndham yeah. Earl's like little weird secret cabin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um. And yeah, and in, in the when we did the view, when we did the new season of Twin Peaks, because we never saw Leo. I jokingly said that, as far as we know, Leo is still out there somewhere with mm-hmm. a cage of spiders on his head. This Man, clears that they up. They should have just had it be like a skeleton, like in a cartoon, <laughs> wasted on the floor with like a, a cage above it with, you know, like spider skeletons spider or, skeletons. or carcasses. That would have been pretty amazing. The, uh, the next note I have is the the complete clearing up of, and we had talked about it on The View, the, the, we, for how long, Rob, did we think that the Bang Bang Bar and the Roadhouse were two oh, different places? Like, ep- like forever. <laughs> so, like way, well, way too long, I guess, is the real answer. Like, we should have figured it out long before that. One line in this clears all that up, and I'll read it to you. Um, <laughs> a local adult venue known by its sign as the Bang Bang Bar, but more collo- colloquially as the roadhouse <laughs> just yeah that's like page six it's like super upfront. like if that was the end of the book i'd have been like well i figured shit out that i never knew yeah yeah so i'm like i said we're just getting answer after answer in this book it's it's uh it's pretty exciting we should mention that there are um some illustrations and even photographs in this book which uh i also thought was a little surprising this is something i didn't expect i guess yeah um yeah and so but before we talk about other like specific things that we thought were neat, I want to kind of say about the general um, tone of the of the book is like so some of it so it, it it's trying to fill in the gaps and everything and it's giving us information we may not have gotten, but it also gives us information that we kind of figured out on our own. Um, so it kind of reinforces the things that were implied but not said, as well as straight up giving facts that were never even like for things that were never explained. Is that kind of the experience you guys both had? A little bit. I mean, are you talking about things like Gersten Hayward and like stuff like that? Like you just kind of fill in the story while watching the return. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, it draws some more specific connections, but then it also, yeah, I can't think of a specific um, thing off the top of my head. But, um, oh, like, for example, who Audrey's baby daddy was. Like, right. And, like, the New the New York office with, yeah. with the box. Yeah. We kind of figured these things out on our own. But this, like, 
straight up confirms a lot of suspicions in addition to just providing out in left field information we never would have been able to get on our own. Yeah, it serves that purpose. And and almost as importantly, um, some of the filling in of the blanks, just characters that did not reappear on the show. So there's the the whole section on Harry Truman and what his life was kind of like. It's only a few pages. But, you know, what we got is, yeah, he's sick, can't do the job anymore. That was it for the information we got about what, in my opinion, was, you know, probably the second most beloved character in the original series. Um, he was uh, his yeah. story was really lacking from from the return. So even just getting those few pages, um, although unimportant in its entirety to the big story, uh, it was just kind of nice to to see where, where he was at or, or, you know, what what had gone on with him in the subsequent years after the original Twin Peaks run. Yeah, the lack of a bookhouse boys contingent in or element in the new season was probably the biggest disappointment for me. But how could you do Bookhouse Boys without Harry Truman? It's true, man. Yeah, I, but little tidbits. Like, his father started the Bookhouse Boys. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I That mean, makes the Bookhouse Boys like so much cooler. Yeah, completely <laughs> unimportant and irrelevant to anything that's going on, but it's still a piece of information that's nice to have. Yeah, and it bears mentioning that, like, like Livius kind of alluded to, some stories get a lot more page time than others um so i was really excited to hear anything that was to be said about harry truman and like livia said it was a couple pages the double r diner has got to be like 30 pages in this book and it's the whole story of like norma's um like parents like like starting or owning the restaurant and then her getting it and then like the whole relation between norma it's norma right yeah norma and Annie Blackburn, mm-hmm. that was so fascinating. Like, there is so much depth to the the Norma Annie family that I don't think was revealed in the series. Where, like, I'm reading this and I'm like, this could be a series on its own. Oh, man. This thing, like, didn't even seem like what we were presented with in the original series with her mom and stuff. Yeah. Like, that was some pretty, pretty far out there stuff and was really, really eye-opening for sure. I will tell you, I fell into a little bit of a, of confusion in um, her mother's story when they talk about her. Was it her second husband drove off the the his brakes failed on his car mysteriously, yeah. and or her stepmother rather. Yep. And I was like, in my head, I was I was like, man, we saw that, but how could that? Like, you know what I mean? Because we saw that same storyline, only we saw it with different characters. Yep. But it was with, the exact same thing. The mechanic gets kind of drawn into. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for a little bit, I was like, for a page or two, my head was spinning, trying to wrap my mind around how that could have been. Yeah, I, I, it lost me a little bit there. But no, oh, here's the thing. Yes, a lot more time spent on that than, and again, what I don't, you know, irrelevant to the big story. We could have had, you know, 50 pages on just the Black Lodge, right? Sure. But it didn't feel like time poorly spent. No, not at all. Yeah, not at all. Um, it was filler, but it was such good filler that, you know, I appreciated it. Yeah, it was a great story. And, and like I said, like that could be a series or a book onto its own. Um, definitely like a uh, – and it introduced elements where like, again, like our minds I think were trying to connect the dots so much that like I was seeing connections like you said to the, oh, we saw that. But also like Vivian being the stepmom to Norma or the mother to Annie – 
owning that like hotel kind of in the middle of the nowhere made me think about like the place that Dale stops toward the end of the new season. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm like, is that the same place? And I, 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 someone probably out there is willing to do the research to figure that out. But I'm like, that's probably where, but who knows? So, um, other things of interest, um, I guess, uh, and I don't know, I mean, I guess we're just kind of jumping around to, to big stuff at this point or, or stuff that we really liked. Is that yeah. kind of, how did you guys feel about, um, the Margaret Coulson chapter? I, I mean, it really warmed my heart. <laughs> it felt like it was like a big tribute, um, yeah. to, to the woman, uh, I can't remember her name, Catherine, something I think is the name of the actor. Um, but like with that, that letter that she gave to Hawk and like where the, the log ended up and stuff like that, like, God damn it. If that wasn't just like wrenching my heart. Yeah. All the feels in that chapter. Also, I, I dug that it was, that it was that they like gave her her name back in the chapter. Cause I mean, they did that in the return, but most of the season, Oh, she's the log lady. lady. Yeah. And I don't yep. think they even like probably say her name. In the original series, except Hawk maybe says it once. Right. So it's really touching that they're like, this is who this is. Yeah. I feel like it was definitely like a, an homage to the actual woman. Davies, did you have something you were going to go with? I did. And now I'm trying to read through my notes to figure out what it was. Was it about Wyndham Earl? I'm guessing with Livius it's about Wyndham Earl. Because there's that section in the book where we get more of that backstory with like Dale and Wyndham's wife and... I just kept imagining Wyndham Earl for decades hiding out in all these bars and other places in disguises and stuff. I still see, I still see Wyndham Earl everywhere, (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) Like everything, everything he pulled on the ladies in Twin Peaks to get them to enter the pageant. He probably pulled that on Dale and, and Caroline or whatever her name was. Well, they even said that. They even said that in the chapter, how he, like, would pretend to go out of town, but, like, was secretly doing things to push his wife and Dale together. You know he was in disguise. <laughs> and had Master li- of fucking disguise, that guy. <laughs> oh, man. Too bad there isn't a snapshot of him in his freaking Gordon Cole <laughs> costume. Oh, my God. If there was something about <laughs> us talking about Twin Peaks that was, like, the fucking high watermark... <laughs> Is the fact that Wyndham Earl fooled you every time, Livius? Every goddamn time. <laughs> every time. Um, which is why I wasn't going to talk about him this time at all. Uh, no. Oh, good. <laughs> this is, and again, <clears throat> probably unimportant to the story, but what I found kind of chilling is that um, Milford, Doug Milford, who yeah. marries the 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 weird, trashy Black Widow. Yeah, the Black Widow lady. Yeah, yeah. Lana. wound up with a jade green ring. Mm. Yeah, and how he was like, they don't they say he's the guy who formed the Blue Rose thing? Wait, was he part of the nuclear tests? That was in, something uh, they actually in didn't New Mexico very well. Yeah, I didn't. I, I don't. I don't know. I'm actually looking through the chapter right now, but I don't. Nothing's jumping out at me. Hang on, I'm just searching for Milford. It's because they think that uh, Tammy like questions that what Garland Briggs knows or has that he got information from Milford. But I don't think in the show 
we were ever told anything about Milford being an important person or doing other, anything other than being a court judge or whatever the hell mm-hmm. he was. Um, Douglas Milford, his subsequent partnership with you, Chief, meaning um, Dorn Cole, as a founding member of the Bureau's Blue Rose Group, needs, I'm sure, no detailing here. Yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah. Well, that would explain why he has it. But yeah, that was a little chilling. When I stumbled across that, that caught me way off guard. Yeah, yeah. Like, and and the way that... Did you guys get the feeling that Lana, the Black Widow woman, was using the ring as a way to, like, just, like, actually be a Black Widow? No, but that's an interesting... Yeah, no, I didn't either, but yeah. Interesting idea, yeah. Hmm. yeah I kind of got the feeling that that's what she was actually up to, which is weird. But um, because, like, um, after, like, in the, in the story with Lana, like, she goes on to have more husbands afterwards, and, like, they all kind of die of mysterious ways and stuff like that. And I don't know, it just seemed like it fit, but, like, it's a weird way to use the ring from the Black Lodge while it's not being used the way that we saw in the series. I don't know, just, it was, that's the impression that I got. That's one thing they didn't didn't actually delve into which it would have been interesting to learn more about the ring and its significance and whatnot especially since when the return was happening i believe david lynch himself went on record and talked about how how important fire walk with me actually was to the return versus the original two seasons of the series yeah and whatnot and there there was there was a lot that you could notice like that was kind of relative to fire walk with me but there's there's all the missing pieces that finally got released to that show and that were originally supposed to be in in the movie so i felt like those should be equally important but in this book when they're talking about annie they kind of stray from from canon and whatnot because in the missing pieces annie wakes up in the hospital out of her coma or her unconsciousness or whatever and she says more to the nurses then this book indicates her communicating verbally. And also one of the nurses in that scene actually steals that ring because Annie had it while she was in the hospital. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Um, can we talk about the Annie stuff for a second now that we're there? Sure. Probably, if you ask me, one of the most chilling moments in the entire book and probably in the entire series, now that I think of it as part of this, was how she wakes up every year or, like, becomes lucid every year at the same time on the same day and just says, I'm fine. And you know why that is, right? I, I get the feeling you're going to tell me. <laughs> because when Dale came out of the Black Lodge, he kept saying, how's Annie, after he bashed his head into the... the um, mirror. He kept saying it over and over again in like a really maniacal way. Yeah, how's oh, Annie? Interesting. Yeah, he kept saying it. It was like that was the creepiest shit. But now we know that she says I'm fine every year on the same day at the same time as when you know that happened with fucking Evil Dale. That is creepy as hell. Yeah, it is. That was a chilling. I was now, a little more now that I'm that I make the, <laughs> the connection for me. I was reading that and I was like, "Wow, it's fucking cold in here." Like it was just it was that really hit me. That moment really hit me. I just highlighted the two words, "I'm fine." And when I was looking through my notes, I saw it and I was like, "Ugh." Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Philip Jeffries comes into play pretty strongly in this, um, and he is really probably the most underdeveloped character, in my opinion, in all of Twin Peaks, and that we know a name. Yeah. And we have like maybe a total of six lines of information about him. That was a great chapter to get in this book, actually. So, yeah, it gives us a lot of backstory on him, which I think is great. But almost more importantly, it kind of defines Judy, right? Yeah. More so than we had any definition for. Yeah. Although I think that you in um in the view, Livia's had a pretty solid understanding of Judy. Well, no, I know, but I mean this is literally like the female version of the devil. Yeah. Like that's a that's a little more than I um expected it to be. Right. Um and I love just the 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 tie into what I actually believe might be Sumerian mythology, because I know the, I don't know how to say it, the B-A apostrophe A-L is a character from Sumerian mythology. So I'm going to assume I didn't do any research that this is, I was going to say based in truth, but based in actual lore and not just um, TV show stuff. Can we, can we all agree that the ball, I'm going to say ball, B-A-A-L, character was Bob in the series or no? I think the problem I have with that is that Judy seemed to be something a little more all-powerful. And Bob had limitations. I mean, Bob could inhabit a body. Well, he was a he was a possessing spirit. Was that how he was originally um, uh, described? But in the new season, he, he was basically described as being as evil as, like, a nuclear bomb. So, like, massively destructive, like that type of thing. So that was... That's what kind of pushed me in that direction of thinking that. And then also like the whole mythology of the fact that like if Judy and the male equivalent of Judy ever met, oh, it would be like yeah. this like massive, um, powerful evil. And we know that Bob was inside of Evil Dale. So if, if Evil Dale was trying to get Judy and he already had the other half, that would explain why he would want those to come together. Man, Rob is really laying it out for us tonight, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, the weird thing about that, though, is that the the return kind of laid out to us that Bob was created with nuclear war, whereas the devil is fucking ancient as hell, you know? Well, yes. But my interpretation of that, which could be wrong, is that this evil of like this nuclear bomb that was being tested in New Mexico was like something that was strong enough to bring Bob into our world. And again, I could be wrong about that, but like I, that. I felt I felt that 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 could be a possibility during the return, not the creation of, but kind of a release to allow the crossing into mm-hmm. our world kind of thing. Yeah. So Yeah, that's that was kind of my take and um so like and it explains why we know that Evil Dale um funded the weird New York glass box room. Mm-hmm. So that yep. was him. And I'm fairly certain that the weird female thing that kills uh, the chick from Californication um, is that Judy. Could be wrong. I see. I thought that during the, the run of the show. I mean, later on when we learned, when, when we saw the nuclear blast and we saw yeah. there was kind of appeared to be a woman, I, I believe I'd actually said, I wonder if that's the, right. the, the box lady. Hey, you guys knew Ray Monroe was a deep cover informant, right? Uh, I believe that came out in the series, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, they did talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that caught me off guard. 
I, I don't know. I guess I, I must have blocked that part of the series out. Because he was a punk bitch? <laughs> a little bit. Mostly because he was a punk bitch, probably. Is there anything else you guys want to mention? So I think it's two things. There's one big, big thing that we need to talk about, and that's the very end, right? That's the the realization, the the, the discovery that Tammy makes. Yeah. Right. But before that, um, Audrey. I don't know that we settled the Audrey story. So Rob mentioned a little bit, you know, that we know who the baby daddy is and stuff. But this does put to rest a lot of the thoughts because I wound up after we finished um, the series and after we did our final review, I wound up watching some some YouTube, you know, explanation, you know, people's takes on it. And there did seem to be a, a divide on and I know Rob and I had this discussion, too, on that being Audrey's life that we were seeing or that Audrey never came out of the coma. Right. So we find out that she did come out of the coma and did date the accountant. But then it leaves it kind of ambiguous, right? Like she had drug and alcohol problems and then yep. was institutionalized again. Yeah. So we may have been seeing stuff out of order. Like we could have been seeing her real life. Um, because she was institutionalized for a few years, if I'm not mistaken, correct? It was like four years, yeah. Right. So that that still leaves up in the air is was the Audrey we were seeing having hallucinatory nightmares in a mental institution? Or were we just seeing it somewhat out of order? Were we catching a view of, you know, her final days before she was institutionalized? I don't know. I'm kind of fuzzy on that timeline. Is is the accountant the dude we saw in the show then? Yes. Yeah, the awesome midget guy. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a really tricky situation. And I'm not sure how that falls on the timeline. I just kept thinking about the Audrey storyline, and I feel like she completely slipped from how she used to be, but that... I feel like everything that she became or that we saw would kind of falls in line with abuse victims and whatnot. So that made sense with her coming out of the coma, but I'm, I'm actually kind of confused on the timeline between the book and the, the series on that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, first of all, I will acknowledge that her being, we, I mean, to you know, to basically put it out how the book did, like she was raped by Evil Dale while she was in a coma, and that's the baby daddy. And like, so her coming out of a coma, pregnant, um, would probably throw her into a very weird mental state, and it would probably deviate her greatly from, um, you know, the thing. It seems like she, like from the explanations in the book, tried to get her life back on track by studying business management and all those things, and like, mm-hmm. like eventually, you know, at least working toward what she thought her life was going to be, which would be like the owner of a business, like taking over the family business or something. But like, it just never happened. And then she ended up with a scaled down version, which was owning her own little like beauty salon. Um, so I feel like all of that stuff lines up with the reality we're presented with in the new season. Um, it's that last time we see her with Audrey's dance at the bang, bang bar and like the weird scene where she's in a white room looking at a mirror and freaking out mm-hmm. like that's the confusing part and sure. to me maybe we were seeing both then like i feel like we were seeing the audrey that was the result of her shitty life um after the explosion in the bank um but like that looking in the mirror part i originally interpreted as her being a tulpa which the tulpa for the listeners um, 
a tulpa is explained in the in the Twin Peaks season as being like something that is created like by magic and stuff. It's not a real person, but it's like the approximation of a person created by magic. So I thought that was like a fake Audrey and like the real Audrey was somewhere else. I feel like now that was just Audrey being crazy. So it's possible yeah. that we saw like we saw both parts. Maybe yeah, we did institution see, Audrey. Like, yeah, maybe we did actually see bad Audrey or traumatized Audrey in real life, but then it's possible that parts of what we saw were unexplained visions from her head. Like the like, dance kind of goes along with that more. Like when we're seeing her dance, she could be institutionalized and we're just seeing her vision or her dream or whatever. Right. But the Tulpa idea is interesting too. But if that's how it is, who created that Tulpa? Yeah. It would have had to have been Evil Dale, but he didn't. We know he didn't do that because all he did was have sex with her comatose body. So, and she didn't like do evil shit the way that the other Tulpas did. So, my and then tul- kill his own kid. Yeah, homeboy killed his Cause, own cause, kid. Because now we have yeah, now we have um, actual factual information. I guess it, I guess we shouldn't say it's factual information, right? Because they never blood tested the kid. <laughs> well, well, yeah, no, no but, you're you right. Know, I'm saying we're saying yeah. like nine months later, a kid was born. That's what Tammy discovers right. in, in her investigation. But yeah, I, yeah, it was a little. Yeah. Well, yeah, and he calls ability that like Gooddale actually raped Audrey. No, no, <laughs> no, no, not that. Zero possibility. What, what's the possibility that Gooddale did some Tulpa shit? And we just didn't get like the the story on that. Like that's something that got cut out, and it was going to be explained how Gooddale was going to somehow ease her mind or save her in some fashion, like he did Laura. But it just got omitted from the show. Well, we know that he was capable of it because he's the one that created Dougie and kept Laura from being murdered. Apparently, yeah. right? So yeah, so here's where it gets tricky. I guess we can drop the Audrey <laughs> thing. I, I, I mean, I'm going to go with I, I. I think that maybe we were just seeing two different flashes of her life. But it, again, right. I think I said this during the view. Possibly one of the poorest told stories in the return was the the depiction of Audrey, oh my not God, just in yeah. sadness, but in its confusion and we weren't really sure what was happening. And that was somebody that was, I think, you know, I can only speak in my own personal and I, and I know Rob's feelings too, so I guess I speak for both of us. She was a super important character to get like this muddled kind of shitty explanation in, in the return, and I know we're not reviewing that, so it was nice to get at least some closure. Uh, yeah. On her life, yeah. even if we're not still not clear what the return showed us. Yeah, like it's far I, less her fault now that I read this than it was when I just had seen the new season. Yeah, yeah. And, and still, it reminded me of, um, pro, you know, the saddest story for me in watching the return oh, was, was was yeah, because that was somebody we had hoped good things for, even though it was left ambiguously with the bank explosion twenty five years ago. Um, you know, you kind of hope that she had gone on to be you and I discussed, you know, an FBI agent or, you know, or something and done something with her life. And instead she stays in that shitty little town doing kind of shitty menial things and having multiple affairs. And, you know, so I I don't know. Yeah. She turned into the worst of the character that we thought was going to be one of the best characters. Yep. It's even worse because she was the one who was supposed to have a spinoff, which is kind of how Mulholland Drive started off. 
was it was actually supposed to be Audrey going down to L.A. and whatnot. I'm going to watch Mulholland Drive the moment we're done recording this because <laughs> I have not seen it. But that there's that theory out there, too, that Mulholland Drive is actually in the Twin Peaks universe because Laura and um, uh, what's her name appear in the movie. Sherilyn Fenn? Not Sherilyn Fenn. Um, Laura's friend from Twin Peaks, uh, Renette Pulaski. Oh, there you go. They're they're in the 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 music oh, club. Yeah. Okay. I think you've yeah you've shared a little bit of this with me before. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. The the Audrey part was probably the most disappointing um, direction that any of the storyline went. Um, yeah. They should have given her story more time in the show and just kind of like said, ah, James ran off to Mexico or something, so <laughs> see ya. <laughs> he did. Speaking of James, um... <laughs> You're right, he actually did, but, yeah. but I yeah. mean, did he have to come back and, and play that one song 25 years later? Yeah. And you know how I feel about that song. You'd love that still, song. I do, but still. Yeah, I, I you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to, I don't know enough about David Lynch. I mean, I, I, I going to formulate my impressions of anything he does by my experience with Twin Peaks, which is to say that he's not um, maybe not the best linear storyteller. <laughs> you know what I mean? That there are gaps and like odd choices. Like, again, not to make it a review about the show again, but you had characters that weren't coming back, right? So you had to write them out somehow. Like, I get that. But if you had Audrey, yeah, you should have done more with Audrey. That's, you know, Dale Cooper probably shouldn't have spent 17 episodes or whatever being Dougie before we got some Dale Cooper. Like, I, it's just it's a weird I, I don't know what to make of that guy. <laughs> yeah, Dougie. I got to say, though, this series <laughs> in a weird way almost makes David Lynch the most linear person because of how this the return ended. He stuck to his timeline. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like that's one way to look at so, it. So, yeah, yes. I guess it bears talking about the ending. We've been talking about this book now for, I don't know, 40 minutes or so, I'm guessing now. So it bears talking about the end of the book, which is an explanation of the end of season three, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is the alteration of time. We already talked about it a little bit. Cooper prevents Laura from dying. And it was never 100% explained in the episodes that we watched, but it's kind of, like, confirmed in the book that we're reading that, like, essentially, Cooper goes back in time to the point where Laura um, goes off to essentially what will be the place she's killed and takes her away, which completely changes the future. And the weird... So, like... What we saw in the series was, from Cooper's perspective, we saw where Cooper went and the timeline that he ended up in because of it. But this book lives in the world where Laura Palmer died. And so it's an interesting take because the end of the book basically acknowledges the reality of what Cooper did in the series, but from the perspective of someone who wasn't Cooper and who lived in the world where... Laura Palmer died. And so that was probably one of the coolest things about this book, if you ask me. So time travel gets really tricky, right? 
So I, I thought it was great because I started thinking back. And, and if I, um, I, I don't have the ambition to want to read back and see what changes if Laura goes missing instead of dies. Right. So I think he probably handled it. He probably checked all the boxes because he doesn't. Laura Palmer has nearly I, I don't even know if she's mentioned until the last chapter, like really at all. I think maybe that, you know, after her and James broke up or, or whatever. But um the tricky part of that is exactly what Rob said. Why does Tammy know that Laura Palmer died? Yeah. Because travel back in time, change the timeline, erased all of it. The people in Twin Peaks don't remember, but Tammy knows it. So I would have been a little more impressed if there was some master reveal at the end. Or maybe not at the end. I mean, that's where you got to put it because it's impactful, right? But if somehow... It came to light that, you know, at first you read it, you go, I talk about Laura missing. That's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Where, right. where it starts to reveal itself that she's writing this from the standpoint of Laura went missing, not Laura died. Do you well, follow I think what I'm Tammy, saying? like, read all the files that had been done. And it, the book, like, makes it seem like she also listened to however many hours of tape there was between Dale and Diane, sure. too. Yep. So, like... She had to have known the whole story one way or another. My my issue with that is newspapers rewrote themselves. So that's a good point. Yeah, and the only way that I can kind of reconcile it in my head is that she because she was on this story while it was unfolding in season 3, she knew a lot about the story before Dale got to the point where he changed history. And so that knowledge was already in her brain. And I, I, I mean, I thought about that, too. But, like, people in town don't remember Laura being dead. And it was kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's but, the only... Like, but, yeah, and again, like, when she's flying away, she's got that foggy things start to not make sense thing, which is, like, in my way, like, time correcting itself. Like, get, making getting rid of all of the instances of what the previous history was or something. That's Isn't that how point. it would work, though? Like, people in Twin Peaks would remember their own reality. Like, they would they would remember, oh, this girl went missing. But Tammy wasn't physically there. So yeah. wouldn't, her, wouldn't her memories still stay intact, even though, like, I mean, it does make it really confusing with the time travel. But I don't think that <laughs> the way they presented in the series and the story is that any one person changing time in any fashion completely alters like the whole universe the entirety of reality for the yeah. entire universe yeah yeah like it's a different reality for um uh what's his name who discovered the body right, right. pete and we saw that in the return yeah because if you think it it's real to you right as you guys said recently yes <laughs> that's just gonna Several keep coming times. up every fucking yeah. episode now um, no yeah and, and i guess and i think rob's explanation of it of getting fuzzier um yeah, I, I probably threw out that last paragraph, but yeah, I guess maybe she's losing track that, of it as well. In the book, that at least accounts for right. Yeah, what is happening um, or what has happened, whether or not it's satisfactory, you know, is, is a different kind of matter. But that's that's I took that as Mark Frost's way of saying, hey, because she's being because she's discovering the reality of this new timeline by like talking to people and having them say, Oh, she went missing or reading things and saying she went missing as opposed to she died um, is, is like 
the new timeline taking over the facts in her mind by causing the other stuff to become fuzzy. Like, you know, time's kind of correcting itself or whatever. I, uh, I really appreciate the fact that Mark Frost gave us an answer on that, regardless of the delivery or, or whatever suspicions I have that, you know, it might be a little off or whatnot. Um, kind of bold move, right? Yeah. I mean, really, really laying it out in, in a way that people can understand that he did travel in time and it actually changes the course of the past 25 years. Yeah. Um, cause I, 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 you know, I thought I read that and I was like, no, all these people's lives would be different then. And the answer is no, because the difference is there was a body and there wasn't a body. Laura's still gone from people's yeah. lives. Um, probably worse in some ways to, to, to not know. Yeah. Than, not than knowing, to be able yeah. to deal with the, the finality of, of somebody's death. So I really, uh, I really appreciated, um, that not appreciated like thanks Mark Frost, but I appreciated it in the course of the story that there was um kind of a, a definitive um answer for all that crazy shit we saw in the last in the last episode of uh, last two episodes of the return. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, it totally fits with her mom's storyline in the return too. It does because I mean, she's just she's out of it. She's addicted. She's trying to cope because I mean she probably just hopes that. Her daughter's gonna walk through the door someday, and then she can set the bottle down and and resume. Yeah, but she's also Judy, I think. So, well, I, that's not, the yeah. fucking thing. Ooh, like, that's interesting. This really? so this book uh, confirmed something that I was saying in the in the fucked up episode eight. I think it was right when like the got a light kind of shit was happening. Right? Yes. Yep. That that was her. Yeah. That was her who was the girl. Who had swallowed the weird lizard bug? Right? See, I took that as like I took I took that as not her being Judy, but the the bug being whatever it was was the reason why her mom had visions and could see and sense things. Like well, I feel like that was more like something that the bellhop or whatever we're calling that guy, the giant, did yeah, the fireman to yeah did to Laura's mom to like enact her as a. Is an ally in the well, real world. That's exactly what it was. So if you remember, um, I, I don't know if it was the same episode or I think it was the same episode. The fireman does throws like this weird gold orb into a tuba, which shoots it down onto Earth. <laughs> I hope somebody just skip right to this part to see if we're done talking about the book, so they could say things like "Never gonna watch fucking Twin Peaks." Sounds like the dumbest shit ever. There's a fireman don't putting things in a the tuba. Tea kettle, man. Oh my god, the tea kettle. Yeah. Um but he that gold orb hits the earth and becomes that little bug that Sarah Palmer swallows. Um and in that gold orb you saw Laura's face at one point. Yes. So that was like interpret it how you will, it could have been just like the fireman basically putting into place something that was strong enough to fight immaculate Bob. conception. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but like no, because timeline, no, timeline doesn't yeah add up on that. But like um, putting something into Sarah that a allows Laura to happen, but b then later on allows Sarah to somehow take her face off and eat the neck out of a guy in a bar. <laughs> I mean, right, um, but I'm still confused yeah. how she could be Judy though. Then that's I, what I don't that's think what she's I Judy. I don't think she's Judy. So so all right. So I, I I don't know if she's Judy, but let's let's look at it a. a slightly um different way right i'm I'm with you on on laura being put there 
um, to, to cause all of this to happen. And I think further on than that, not just to put Laura here, but to have Dale eventually thwart the master plan. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that what we saw from Laura's mom may have been a little bit of the new timeline. Yes. Okay. So I almost get the feeling that somehow Laura's mom was inhabited by something later. Um, Cause remember she's angry and she's screaming at the TV and she's breaking stuff and calling Laura's name and stuff. I think that's, if it's Judy, that's Judy's frustration at realizing that Laura was saved back when she was. I don't think it's Judy though. Okay. I don't. I mean, I, we don't have a definitive answer until the final, final dossier. <laughs> but <laughs> the I think really it's final dossier. because if you look at the firemen, the firemen's whole like function throughout the entire series has been to help people fight Bob, to fight the evil, and Judy would definitely be a part of that evil. So that's the main thing there. If like if the devil and Judy had to get together while well, they were already married, so. Went to the, right. Went to the then it would have just happened. L- Laura would have been the combination of the two. All right. So then someone in this theory that you guys are both kind of on the same page about explain then why someone the fireman placed would eat somebody's head. David Lynch. But, yeah. But, well, but yeah, I mean, like, there's, you know what I mean? Like, we, I, we really were given the impression that that Laura Palmer's mom. What, what's her name? Mrs. Palmer. Sarah. Sarah Palmer. Sarah Palmer was pretty goddamn evil. Well, she was just kind of bitchy and and angry. Um, so the way that I see it is, a, I don't fucking know is my main answer. But b, my my kind of secondary answer is that like, like if you take this unnamed power or whatever you want to call it that was put into Sarah via a weird lizard bug, um, and let it sit in a body that is just racked by decades of misery and grief. Like evil things could happen. I wonder how I mean, likely we, we are oh, to get sorry. Mark Frost to answer this for us. Let's get Mark Frost on the phone right now. Well, we could think- say that like Sarah Palmer is Judy then. And I mean, now that I'm thinking about a little more that might align with what Rob's saying, like maybe she is pissed off that this didn't succeed because of Sarah is Judy that means Leland was Bob was the devil and Laura was the union of that. But Laura chose to fight Bob to not to fight Bob. So maybe that wasn't the plan all along. And like, you know, in that show that even though it like was breaking her heart in one fashion, like there's no way she couldn't know that something, something was up in her house, you know? Yeah. The yeah. rape, the rapes. Yeah. Yeah, sadly, the rapes, which was still the most disturbing part, I think, of all of it, no matter what we say, that uh, that fire walk with me was uh, had some some pretty strong moments in it. Good Lord, did it. Yeah. Um, I guess this is OK. So one more thing before we go to a wrap up, I guess um, there's been news. There's been not news. Rumors? There's been news that nothing has happened. Right. Um over the last couple of days in my Google feed uh, has popped up numerous times that Showtime has not asked um, Lynch and, and Frost, I'm guessing, about a season four, but that they're very open to the idea. 
Um, which is a weird way to do that. Like we just publish it in a newspaper instead of like picking up a phone and calling <laughs> and saying like, Hey dude, <laughs> what do you think? Knowing what we know now, and we'll call it canon because Mark Frost is one of the creators and writers. Um, where does season four go? So I think for, for me, I'll, I mean, I'll kind of start. I thought season four was going to explain some shit, right? Like what this parallel universe thing was is what we thought it was and whatever. Where does season four go now? that we have this information. Is there a possibility for a fourth season? Totally. But I mean, what would it look like? I mean, if you look at narrative and consider it in the light of the majority of all narratives we've ingested and have thought about before the season four would tie everything together and give everyone their justified happy ending. It would bring Dale back and everyone and everyone else back. But we're talking about David Lynch here. So maybe they would just be lost in a different decade. Yeah, it's I mean, the fact that David Lynch is tied to it really kind of throws it's like the dynamite in the pond kind of thing, because um, realistically, <laughs> if you think about what would happen next, you have to think about the overall impact of the fact that there's a split timeline here. Um, if there's a split timeline, that means that um, Dale never spent 25 years in the Black Lodge kind of. We don't know whatever happened to Bob. Bob wasn't necessary. Wasn't necessarily um, trapped inside of Evil Dale for twenty five years. So there could be an entirely different line of carnage with Bob possessing other people. You know what I'm saying? So like, there could be a whole. I mean, the, the, I mean that opens the world to be whatever you want it to be. Like another dimension type thing. Yeah, I mean, they could carry on with the actual like timeline we ended up in where. Dale says in the most fucking creepy way ever, what year is this at the end of the goddamn episode? Um, that, I mean, the, the the line, what year is this, really says we could do anything. We could, I mean, Dale could have ended up right back where shit was starting and he could prevent things and everything could go in an entirely different direction, which probably won't happen because you don't have Ray Wise and you don't have the fucking Log Lady and everything like that. So you'd probably end up more in like a modern timeline. But, like, the the possibilities are limitless. Well, to, to use the same actors, you'd obviously have to stay in the same timeline, or you'd have to recast the whole thing, right? If you were just going right. to go back and, and show us Dale for the last 25 years, you'd have to... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not going to happen with that guy. The, so, the, 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 yeah, yeah so. you got to think pragmatically. What, what, would, what cast would return? And then you'd have mm. to write a story based on who do you have. I just, I think that it's so convoluted that I, I I just I can't see someone putting together a story that's that's satisfactory. Yeah. That that's really what I was saying. Yeah. I mean I, I get it, it can go in a bunch of directions, but you know, you, you what year is this implies, and again, if you stick to, to what's on paper or on film already, implies that he already came back to this time because he was with the alive Laura. He tracked her down, right? Yeah. And she was like the age of who she would have been twenty five years later. Right. So he had already lived his life. And then there's just a weird like it would just pick up with him and um, him and Diane, you know, had been together. And then they broke up in that hotel with the weird name, like different names. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I, yeah, I'm I'm very reading this um, for me, put to bed the thought that there would be a fourth season, I guess, is, is how I want to say it. it. It kind of took away the need for a fourth season, for sure. Yeah, I agree. I kind of feel like they like they already they already succeeded anyway because 
when it started, the whole thing was who killed Laura Palmer. I think that was even the tagline. Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was the whole point. And this time around, well, Laura Palmer was saved, which Dale ultimately would have wanted to do had he been physically in that location. Like, especially like I he mean, stopped as, the killing. Yeah, yeah, like who he was as a person, but also as a as a agent of the law. Like his job would have been to prevent this crime. And well. Who killed Laura Palmer? Well, now who saved Laura Palmer? Can we even have a whole like TV season about who saved Laura Palmer, or would that just be really fucking boring? Uh, my vote would be boring. Yeah, I, I think that it would just be hard to do. And um, you know, Star Wars is seeing this, right? We're gonna we're gonna see a young Han Solo story coming up. As as uh, <laughs> well, but I'm, I'm trying to say, like, I don't yeah. think that's gonna have the magic that people think it's going to have, you know? So, um, and I, I could be wrong about star Wars and I I could be wrong about this. I I think that, um, you know, with them saying they haven't talked to Lynch about it. I I think that Lynch's answer in, in, in Rob's best, um, Gordon Cole voice would be like, what the fuck am I supposed to write about? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what what, what do you want me to do? What's the fourth season even going to look like? I'm worried about poop. I think his real response would be, where's the check? Is it in the mail? Yeah. <laughs> Here's what, if there's anything I would want to see, it would be uh, prequels. It would be like Dale Cooper. Well, and it, it's impossible unless you could cast a, someone besides the, Kyle McLaughlin. The Dale and Albert story? The Dale and Albert story. Dale and, and uh, Wyndham Earl done not in a shitty 90s way. Um, like... I feel like the time is ripe for smart storytelling and television. Um, but you would have to like, you would, you, you would do prequels and you would have to cast someone to be a young Dale Cooper, even though there was already a young Dale C- Cooper, you know what I'm saying? Like it would be really tough to pull off or like um, uh, the early days of twin peaks where it was like a, an earlier generation and like the weird stuff, but then it would just be derivative. It wouldn't be, you know, living up to the original story. Yeah, I mean, I um, could see a whole Bookhouse Boys spinoff. Oh my god! Can you imagine a series just called The Bookhouse Boys? I mean, oh, when but you think Harry's about... not coming back, though. Well, but yeah, you would have to have a young Harry. Well, no, I'm, I'm thinking Stranger Things. Ah, gotcha, dude. Right? Seriously, eighties. So that eighties. Harry's in high school and has just had the mantle passed to him by his dad, who died of cancer or, or whatever, and. You know, so you, I, I could see something like that that probably wouldn't be derivative, but I think you'd have to stay away from you'd have to stay away from Dale. Um, you know, maybe you could throw Gordon Cole in there, a young Gordon Cole. You know, yeah. fresh on the fresh on the FBI or, or something. You know, I, I don't know. Pre hearing aid, Dale, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Agent yeah. Cole, yeah, yeah. Shit, man, so, if you're having a Bookhouse Boys series, you got to be bring Dick Tremaine back as a young dude. Yeah, well, that's what I said. And you could, you could do, you could have Andy. Oh, young Andy. I mean, you could have the entire this cast fucking kid crying all the time. That'd be great. The entire police department. You could have. Uh, Just give them a badge already. Big Ed and Norma, and they're they're oh, yeah. life developing. I mean, there's a lot of. Th- I think. Listen, let's just call this a night, and let's go ahead and hit up Mark Frost with our with our idea. Bookhouse boys. A, oh yeah, my god! Like yeah, thirty or forty bucks off of this. <laughs> Oh man, Livius is walking to me like a minute ago too. Like, do either of you guys know like relatively when the first Mission Impossible movie came out? That Tom Cruise one would have been probably ninety 
three, maybe. I don't know okay, if it was that so early. Not <laughs> terribly long after the original Twin Peaks, because like think about it. In Twin Peaks, the original series, Wyndham Earl's doing his like cheesy costumes. But then a couple years later, we got those fancy masks that actors can like wear and rip off their face and look completely like a different person. <laughs> 96 is when the original Mission Impossible movie came out. All right. We have to put this into a wrap up of some sort. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess we do. Uh, anybody want to go first? I'll go. You go. Oh, Rob. Dude, like the moment I found out about Final Dossier, which actually was probably when Livius gave it to uh, um, Jesse as a as a in our holiday episode as a as a gift, because I I probably knew about it and forgot about it. Um, I was like, yeah, th- I need some answers. And knowing that it was Mark Frost as opposed to David Lynch writing it, I knew that it would probably be a little bit more straightforward and a little bit more um, in in the real world and not as like you know uh, conceptual. And it delivered so much it confirmed suspicions that i had it gave um answers that filled in the gaps for me and it just really kind of made the twin peaks story a little more satisfying um by being not so nebulous um so it's a great book um anybody who's a twin peaks fan um should check it out because it just puts a lot it puts a lot of things to bed it did such a great job of doing what it was supposed to do that like i really want to read the secret history of Twin Peaks now, like in a way where I'm like, I need to defy the podcast and, and, and read outside of it just to, just to read it. Um, so I loved it a lot. I thought it was great. I'm going to go four and a half stars. I, um, I'm going to let Jesse go, but I just, Rob, I have to say this to you. You're not defying that. You can actually read a book outside the podcast. I don't know if that's been the hang up for six and a half years, <laughs> but you thought there was some kind of like, I feel like we, we set a rule. Reading agreement. <laughs> so, yeah, there was an NRA that was signed. Oh my god, um, Jesse, go ahead and give us your uh, your wrap up and, and star this bad boy. Um, I gotta say, like I actually agree pretty much one hundred percent with Rob. There were a couple moments, like getting into it, where I thought, oh, this might just be fan service, and I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that either. But I was kind of wanting more, and it completely delivered on that. The only the only thing that could have made it better was to be even more in depth. Like, I mean, it's a pretty short book. So I think even like 50 more pages covering some more ground with things that things that the show didn't cover, like Josie Packard and some of the Eric other characters. I kind of wanted to know to get closure on all of that as well. So it was pretty great. And I gave it four stars. I, um, I was very concerned when I saw what the format of this was going to be. And um, I was pleasantly surprised that it was uh, it was very it was more readable than it had any right to be based on the format. So it was really told just third person, no real character interaction, no real character development. It's like catching somebody up that you haven't talked to since your high school reunion on things that happened in different people's lives. Um, But those people were important because there's such a mythology behind them if you've watched uh, Twin Peaks. I, I, again, can I said this during The View, which I know none of you listen to. Um, I can only imagine what it was like for the people who watched it and were fans in its original run to get it 25 years later, because I became pretty ingrained watching it, you know, essentially nonstop for two months um, in doing The View. 
So wonderful to touch on a lot of characters. I do agree with uh, with Jesse there. I still have questions <laughs> like it's I can't get over that zombie girl in Twin Peaks that uh, um, what's his name? Um, uh, the, the one who Briggs lives kid. across from uh, no Briggs Dougie house. No Briggs kid. Bobby. Um, Bobby, oh. he goes out and there's that weird traffic jam. The and there's keeps, that girl yeah. like vomiting up weird shit and acting weird. Like just and the woman, the, the driver woman's like, "We're late, we're late." Yeah, I, so yeah, there's there's a, a a little more that could have been done there, um, but I think this was written for the TV slash movie crowd, and and they're not always the same people. So I don't know that you know 300 pages is the right length. For for to to draw in somebody who is just a fan of the show and actually have them read it, so I think that its size lends itself to um, quick sale for people because they're like, oh, this isn't too long. Maybe I'll check this out. So getting away from from the business side of that, um, I think it was a wonderful idea that uh, that this was put together. Um, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it, and and this is really fucked up to say. I, I kind of feel like I enjoyed this more than I did the show at times. Um, well, but. two things um rob hit the nail on that saying hey it was written by mark frost so it was going to make more sense than if it was written by david lynch that's true and i I feel like there's an authenticity there because mark frost wrote co-wrote twin peaks Hmm. was there for the whole ride so if this was just a novelization done by whoever I, i don't know that it would have had the same insight and feel for me i feel like the creator of the show and the guy who's been there the whole time gave us the backstory and that lends itself to more credibility i can't believe i'm i i rob's not rob's gonna fall out of his seat i fucking love this thing it was five stars wow Wow! all right um if you're looking for now you bring, oh sorry rob if you're looking for substance livius um the secret history of twin peaks so the final dossier is 160 pages the secret history 368 pages yeah i think they might have learned a lesson from that Oh, so now that's too much, Mister. I want more answers. No, 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 no. What I'm I'm <laughs> sticking to what I said. I think that the it that format doesn't lend itself to the TV viewer. Sure, that's why I didn't pick that book up the first time because I figured, oh, they're going back to Lewis and Clark days, and this is like almost 400 pages. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> So I'm not saying for me it's too long. I, I read books that are that long, and I, I was I still have a review pulled up for um, for that book, and it says it's a collection of letters, documents, newspaper clippings, and photos. So I'm wondering if there's more photos and there's more you know headline newspaper clippings yeah. that that fill out another 70 pages, maybe of that extra 150 or whatever. Right, that would make sense. Maybe just put an, an, a thought into my head just now. If Twin Peaks, we'll just we'll just say the series, the three seasons, if they were to be novelized, what author do you think you'd want to see tackle that? Uh, I mean, I, I clearly have to say Mark Frost. <laughs> well, and, and, well, no, but I mean, anybody else for, for me, there's an importance to this guy writing this story because the story is his. Right. So whenever and we've talked to authors that have adapted things and they're given kind of, you know, they're given the rules of the world and kind of a general guideline. They're like, do what you want with it. It's just more authentic when it's the creator that's doing it. For me, it is. So I don't know that I'd read the yeah. Twin Peaks novelization by Chuck Wendig. 
<laughs> so what about the Twin Peaks novelization by David James Keaton? No. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, well, that would lean way more toward Lynch than Frost. Yeah, that's, um, that would that would make David Lynch scratch his head. <laughs> I would say if I had to choose, um Mark Frost died tragically and it was very sad. And the novelization's happening. Um, but it can't be him because he's dead. I'm going to go a team up of two authors, uh, Josh Merlerman and Stephen Graham Jones. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Livius doesn't care. He's moving I've got, on. I, I, listen, no. I've, got, I've got my answer in. I, I, I don't, I can only read this by somebody who has the, the, the canon knowledge. Would you do a seance and have the ghost of Mark Frost write the book? I would probably. We could do, do that. that on a Halloween episode, and it would probably get us the most listeners ever. I can't. I, yeah, I can't imagine there's there's even a market for the novelization. I could see, you know, and you had said like you could do a whole book just on the Double R Diner, oh my god, yeah, Norma and and Annie, and and I could see that kind of thing popping up. I could see, you know, there being books that are the the side character stories. I'm still I'm still holding out now for the '80s Bookhouse Boys. That would be amazing. Oh my god, I would kill for some Bookhouse Boys literature. That should be a series itself. Like, what's up with all this Hardy Boys shit? Why wasn't there Bookhouse Boys? Yeah, I like the Hardy Boys. I read a lot of Hardy Boys when I was a kid. Um, I think I did too, but I don't remember it. I just remember like, um. The 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 cover was probably like the most important thing of like any of the Hardy Boys books because it kind of told you what the plot was going to be, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the titles yeah. typically lend the, themselves yeah. to be very descriptive too. But like then you'd like see like there's a cave and an explosion. And you're like, all right, well, eventually somewhere in the story, like the, the Hardy Boys are going to be in a cave and there's going to be an explosion, like that kind of thing. Weren't they in a cave in like all of their books? I think a cave played heavily in a lot of their story. <laughs> My uh... caves were huge in the eighties. My, my jam through probably third through fifth grade was something called the Three Investigators. I don't know if we've ever talked about this on Booked. It was actually um, was it like it low was, rent um, Hardy Boys? Yeah, a little bit. It was. Well, I think it was actually Alfred Hitchcock's The Three Investigators, and it was three kids. They were like three boys. They were like all fourteen years old, and they had like a secret hideout was in a was in a uh, like a trailer, but like one of their uncles owned a junkyard. So you had to like go through this kind of maze to get to like their, their, you know, their hangout, their office or whatever. And they would solve mysteries. A lot of the Hardy boys, but I remember reading, I don't know, probably dozens of those. So my earliest memories of reading are, uh, very much enjoying the three investigator series. I just did a search for Hardy boys, book covers <laughs> just to see how many caves there are. And the, I, I fucking, I can't make this up. The first book cover that I see is called a book called The Secret of the Caves. <laughs> oh. oh, keep reading. I'm, oh, I'm telling you, man, I think the <laughs> 80s were all about caves and quicksand and shit. All right. I think it's time to pull us out of this uh, this tail spin here. Um, Jesse. Uh. Anything going on with you you want to talk about? Um, I don't know. That depends on you guys and doing Patreon picks. <laughs> if we want to get into that in the next month or two here. 
talk about that. Yeah, I mean, we can't possibly go like three or four episodes without having Jesse on. So we will be having Jesse's (laughs) Patreon pick for uh, 2018, which I believe, I mean, I don't know if he's officially requested it, but I do believe that is going to be One Rainy Night by Richard Lehman. Is that correct, Jesse? Oh, that's correct. It's official. All right. So that's official. Um, That'll be coming uh, coming up here in the next uh, couple of months. Uh, Rob, anything uh, you want to throw in before we call it a night? Um, I'm just dreading holiday episodes based on some recently revealed information. (laughs) We will be having it is official. There will be a Valentine's Day um, holiday episode coming up in February. Um, I'm going to just assume at this point that those will all be live YouTube streams, right? Yeah, I think holiday episodes from here on out are going to be streamed live. Um, uh, on our next episode, we'll try to remember to clue you in if you want to, you know, watch what we're going to be talking about. And trust me, you're thinking, why would you tell us a month early? You might need a month to do you it. You might need that time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, next week we'll be here, um, in a non-book episode. We've completely worn ourselves out with two books in a row. Yeah. What, what, what listeners don't know because of you're hearing these episodes uh, about a week apart is that this is our second book review in three days <laughs> so we just did uh we just did our review for um the paul tremblay brian evanson book another way that to has fall. a name yeah see and that's yeah that's what's gonna end this podcast is my uh what's that called i forget when you can't remember things amnesia no it's the disease that old people get alzheimer's i was dementia those dementia could be dementia um <laughs> oldness oldness uh, <laughs> So, yeah, so Rob and I essentially have now reviewed um, two books in three days, and that's completely worn us out. Next week, we've been talking about it for months now, a conversation with Seth Harwood. And uh, that's it for Booked. Until next time, I'm Livius Nedden. Thanks, Jesse, for joining us. Thank you. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. <laughs>